Okay, well, good afternoon, everyone. It's nice to be with you again this evening. And uh, this is not the way every talk that I give uh, begins, but let's begin in this way. Life is short, have an affair. So reads the strap line of the extramarital affairs website, Ashley Madison. Now, don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> the site launched in 2002 and was very successful. In 2015, Ashley Madison had over 60 million members in over 50 countries around the world. According to stats from 2015, they had 1.2 million members signed up in the UK. That's about 5% of the married population. Signing up to an extramarital affairs website to arrange some kind of extramarital relation. The founder of the site, uh, I think it's Noel Biderman, his name, uh, has said, our site doesn't promote infidelity. It just offers a platform to enable it to happen. Long before Ashley Madison, there were affairs, and long after we're gone, there will be affairs. What I'm trying to help people do is have a more perfect affair. And over against this terrible industry, we have the revealed will of God in the seventh commandment, Exodus 20, 14, you shall not commit adultery. We come to study the seventh commandment and straight away, we must step back and see that the purpose of the seventh commandment is to honor and protect marriage. If we're going to properly understand this commandment, we need to understand first, I think, what God says in his word about marriage, but also what he says in his word about the act of sexual union in marriage, what it's for, what it points to. So what I wanna do this afternoon, and you'll be able to follow along on the little outline there, is I want to just ask and answer the following three questions. Firstly, what is adultery? Secondly, why does God say we must not commit adultery? And thirdly, how do we as Christians honor the seventh commandment today, whether we're single or married? Or if we're not Christians here today, how do we think rightly about respecting another person's marriage? This is not just a message for married people. In Hebrews 13.4, we read, Let marriage be held in honor among all. So whether you're married, singled, single, or widowed, or anything in between, we're all, according to God's word, to rightly honor marriage. So, question one, what is adultery? Adultery is marital infidelity. Voluntary sexual engagement between a married person and a person who is not their spouse. That's a simple definition. 
under the heading of adultery, you'll remember, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus said adultery includes looking at a person who is not one's spouse with lustful intent. He called that the sin of heart adultery. This doesn't mean we can't notice that someone is attractive. It means we must not fixate on and imagine sexual activity with that person that if it were realized would count as adultery. There are no, no loopholes, no ifs, ands, or buts with this command. God's word, his law here, is crystal clear. You shall not commit adultery. It is a sin to do so. That is, it is to break God's law. It will never lead to true human flourishing or happiness, because remember that is the purpose of God's law, to lead us to human flourishing, at least that's one dimension of it. Second question then, why does God say we must not commit adultery? God never gives his law just in arbitrary fashion saying just do it because you do it. I'm sure you know this growing up, I certainly with my own kids, I teach them when they're young, don't put your finger in the socket. <laughs> and they just sort of say, okay, I'll just not do that, I'll not do that. And then as they grow up, they start to realize, ah, right, now I get why the boundary was there. It was actually for my good. So why does God say we must not commit adultery? Well, I've just laid out uh, three reasons here, and hopefully you'll find this helpful. God says we must not commit adultery first because marriage is a big deal to God. We learn about marriage in the very first chapters of the Bible. In Genesis 2:24, for example, when God brings together Adam and Eve, we read these words, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In marriage, a new family unit is created. This is how God has set up society. A husband and wife come out from under the authority of their family homes and the husband and wife are united together and become what the Bible calls one flesh. They enter a one flesh union. The husband and wife become part of one another. It's the beginning of a new family unit. Jesus makes clear that God is the primary actor at work in a marriage, and this is profound, in Matthew 19, four to six. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's significant, isn't it? God is at work when that husband and wife are there entering into their covenantal vows. There's not just a horizontal nice wedding day there. God is at work bringing these two people together in that solemn covenant of marriage. I think that's fascinating. We must never forget that. What God has joined together, Jesus said, let not man separate. God is the one who fused the man and woman together in marriage. And therefore, you don't just walk out of that relationship by committing adultery cheaply. 
Actually, one of the prophets, Malachi, writes this about marriage and the one flesh union that God creates. The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless. Though she's your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not, God that is, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? It's fascinating language, isn't it? God in some way mysteriously uniting husband and wife together with a portion of his spirit in their union. Now, that would take a long time to unpack and even understand what that profound mystery even means, but that's significant. Marriage is where a man and a woman enter a lifelong covenant to love each other to death. In that covenant, God is the primary actor. And so you don't just walk in and out of that lightly. Marriage Adultery is a big deal to God because marriage is a big deal to God. Second layer of argument, though, is this. Adultery is a big deal to God because sex, sexual union, is a big deal to God. Sexual union is both a wedding gift from God and a parable of what God has done in making a husband and wife one flesh. It both aids and pictures the unity of marriage. Sex is designed by God for the exclusive setting of marriage because sex is a picture of what God has done in uniting the two together in a one flesh union. This is profound. That's why the Bible doesn't just forbid adultery but all forms of sex outside of marriage. Isn't it so sad then today that people lay hold of the gift of sex and totally empty it of meaning by uncoupling it from marriage? Sex outside of marriage is the enactment of a lie. Think about that statement. Sex outside of marriage is the enactment of a lie. It is proclaiming a one flesh union that doesn't exist. It's the symbol of what God has done in marriage, parabled forth, but God has not joined them into a one flesh union in marriage. It would be like being a guest at a wedding. And you know, sometimes, for those that aren't well organized, there's the wee table and you bring your gift. Maybe that's not a fair way to put it. You bring your gift and there's all the gifts for the bride and groom that have arrived on the day. Well, imagine if you're a guest and you just run up and you steal the gift. You say, I'm going to take that. It's not your gift. It's for the husband and wife. Marriage is designed by God to be the stable environment for both sexual union which is a parable forth of what God has done in joining the husband and wife together, a gift that aids and pictures the unity of marriage, and it is the stable environment for the potential offspring that arise from that act. And so because of this, entering in to a one flesh union in sex with someone who is not your spouse is the enactment of a lie. Adultery is a big deal to God because sex is a big deal to God. Third uh, reason for why adultery is a big deal to God is because marriage is set up to display the beauty of Christ-like covenant-keeping faithfulness. There's so much we could say here. 
Um, but to keep it brief, I'll summarize Ephesians 5. The Apostle Paul teaches that the relationship between a husband and a wife is to be an echo, like a reflection of Christ's love for his people, the church. It's to be a picture of Christ's love for his people as a husband sacrificially loves his wife. And it is to be a picture of the church's confident bringing themselves under the lordship of Christ in a wife's confident bringing herself under the care and oversight of her husband. Both sacrificial love from the husband and submission from the wife reflect divine characteristics of God. So Jesus, who was equal with God, subordinated himself functionally to God by becoming obedient to death on the cross. Beauty in his divine submission. And a wife is imaging that forth as she submits and lovingly endorses her husband's leadership. And a wife reflects Christ's sacrificial loving care for his wife, or a husband reflects his sacrificial loving care for his wife, as he loves like Christ loves the church. And so in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, Paul cites the Genesis 2 passage, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. But then he adds this profound reality in verse 32. He says, this mystery of marriage, one flesh union is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to, it refers to Christ and the church. God instituted marriage from the beginning. That marriage would be a display of the glory of the gospel. So marriage is to point towards something far bigger than itself. A husband's love for his wife, his covenant faithfulness, displays Christ's covenant commitment to his people, the church, his bride. A wife's submissive, loving, bringing herself under the care of her husband reflects the church's confidence in Christ. And so marriage becomes an echo of a glorious gospel reality. Now, put all of that together, those three reasons why God says we must not commit adultery. Because marriage is a big deal to God, because sex is a big deal to God, and because marriage is set up to display covenant-keeping faithfulness. Now we can see why God says you must not commit adultery. It would be a betrayal of the one flesh union that God has established. It would be a shattering of the marriage covenant that is to display the beauty of covenant keeping faithfulness. And moreover, God knows that adultery leaves a trail of devastation at every turn. And so for the good of human flourishing, he gives us his good law for our good. Third main point here then on the little outline, just to keep motoring on here, is very practical now, a practical outworking of this. How do we honour the seventh commandment today? I think of what, five points here or something, yeah. First, we honour the seventh commandment today by thinking, thinking highly of marriage. Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honour among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
marriage should be honoured by all of us. This is, first and foremost, a way to think, an attitude. We think highly of marriage. We don't think of it as something you can just walk in and out of cheaply. We see it as very serious, not to be undertaken without serious, careful thought. Whether we're single, divorced, widowed, or whatever position we're in, we should think highly of marriage. Now, this does not mean that you're in some way faulty or incomplete if you're not married. No, always remember, the most satisfied human, the most fulfilled human on earth was Jesus. Single male, unmarried. So you're not incomplete if you're not married. What I'm just trying to stress is that we must all share a high view of marriage. Bosses, any bosses in here, make sure you look out for your younger married employees. Don't set demands on them that take them away from their wives just all the time. Try to do what you can in your work environment to promote a culture that champions marriage. Thinking rightly about marriage is really important. Second, let's speak highly of marriage. I think we need to talk up ordinary faithfulness. In our culture, marriage is presented as boring and unexciting. <laughs> 30 or 40 years of faithfulness is, doesn't really grab that much attention. I think we need to speak of marriage in a way that honours what God says of marriage. And I think the phrase I'd want you to take away from that, let's be people who celebrate ordinary faithfulness. The other side of that, though, is let's be careful not to idolise marriage, thinking it will bring the satisfaction that God alone can give. Healthy appreciation, not ungodly idealization and idolatry. Third, if married, let's nourish and cherish our spouses. Now, I'm taking that language right out of Ephesians 5.29. I only noticed this recently and slowed down and pondered it. In Ephesians 5, verse 29, we read, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it, just as... Christ does the church. Those two words, nourishes and cherishes. It shows that marriage is not just impersonal doing our duty. We're to nourish and cherish our spouses. If you're married here, how are you doing at that? How are you getting on with nourishing and cherishing? Fourthly, we honour the seventh commandment by maintaining sexual purity more generally. Here's the primary way an unmarried person honours marriage. You save sexual activity for marriage. What dignity you give both marriage and sex when you keep them together. What dignity you give yourself and your potential future spouse when you say, I'm saving this for the only appropriate place for it. I really believe our culture is longing to hear our better story. How much hurt has been caused through sexual immorality and treating marriage cheaply. Maintaining sexual purity includes fighting against imagining sex with someone who's not married. This includes the evil of pornography. If you're married and you're looking at pornography, you're committing the sin of adultery of the heart. If you're unmarried and you're indulging in pornography, you're dishonoring the purpose of sexual activity. You're dishonoring the poor image bearer before you you're supporting a sinful industry and committing sin against God. So we're to seek help, to pray, 
to keep fighting to find greater satisfaction in God. And let's ask God to help us with that. Fifthly and finally, then, we honor the, command, the seventh commandment by recognizing our greatest battle is ultimately against spiritual adultery. All through the Bible, the act of physical adultery is used to describe what we do when we turn away from God in sin. In James 4.4, 4, we read, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? All of us have committed adultery against God. The seventh commandment helps us to understand the seriousness and the character of our sin. But here's what is wonderful, and I want to close with this. Perhaps there's someone here today, and you've been hurt, perhaps, through sexual immorality. Hurt by a spouse. Perhaps your marriage at the moment is not what you would like it to be, and you're reading this, and it breaks your heart. We're told that Jesus is the true husband of his people. Always faithful always loving, always nourishing, always cherishing. Where we fail, where we have been broken, where we fall, he is there to clean us, wash us, and renew us. And this is where Ephesians 5 is so beautiful because Jesus is the model of love that should exemplify our marriages. And what do we read about Jesus? He has sanctified his people. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus loves us, cleans us of all of our sin. And this is what marriage points towards, sacrificial love of Jesus for the good of his people. So hopefully this will help you to think a little bit more about the seventh commandment. Do we have time, Sam, for questions? Where are we at? What time do we finish at? Tom, sorry. No. no. Okay, well then I will, uh, I will close there and uh, hand over to you, Tom. That's okay.